It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, former ninja and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Welcome aboard. Welcome, welcome. The first big show, the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan Tudor, and we welcome you to the very first podcast we're doing. I'm really, really excited to uh, to be offering this to you and and just starting this process of of communicating more one on one with you. This is something that a lot of you, as college coaches, have asked for for many, many years, and it was just really a matter of, you know, timing. Uh, we've been so busy traveling around the country, and we still are, and we've been so busy kind of establishing just the research basis for what we do that doing a podcast in, in many ways seemed a little bit like an extra, but it's just gotten to the point where we're ready to do it, and we're excited, and we feel like we're going to be able to give you something that is worth your while to listen to uh, every few days, every once a week or so. And uh, so this is the first one. And, and I want to right off the bat tell you what this podcast is not. Um, if you have happened to listen in and you're a high school athlete or a high school coach or a parent, um, and we welcome you to listen in, that's fine. But this is not something where we go through the recruiting process and how to maneuver through it and tips for high school athletes and for families Um, There are better sources than us for that. We really deal with college coaches and how they can better communicate with recruits. So we're not really geared for parents and kids and high school coaches. Um, I I think it's safe to say, too, that we are not a podcast that is going to be going over uh, and talking about the top 50 basketball recruits in the country or the top 10 classes for Division I football that just finished their recruiting year or something like that. This is not a place that reviews uh, uh, reviews kids uh, and, and where they went and was that a good decision or not. This is really specifically for, uh, for coaches at the college level to get better at what they do. Their core function, which is as recruiters. Um, when we go out and we are around uh, different campuses around the country, one of the points that many of you have heard me make is that recruiting is really about 75, 80% of your job as a college coach. And you better do it well or else you won't be a college coach for very long in this environment. And that really applies both at the highest levels of Division I down now to the smaller schools in Division Three. Everything is centered around recruiting, whether that's recruiting for numbers or recruiting for quality. Um, it, uh, it, it really is... The, the core of what you do, and we want to help coaches get better. It's, it's what we have taken pride in doing since 2005, and we view this podcast as really something that we can, uh, we can use to sort of further that, that effort, and so we're excited to do this. So why, why start this now? Um, and I, I touched on that a little bit. Uh, I feel like at this point we are pretty established among college coaches. Most college programs, most college coaches – knows what Tudor Collegiate Strategies does. Um, they Maybe you receive the email that comes out every Tuesday with recruiting strategy advice and news. Uh, you, so you've been getting that. As I mentioned, many of you have had us on campus. Um, there are 
several hundred of you around the, the country where we work with you one-on-one -on -one as a client. And so, again, we feel like we're sort of established in the hearts and minds and, and thought processes of a lot of coaches in terms of the advice and direction that we give. Um, this is going to be a chance for an extended conversation. And that's something that's really hard to do in the College Recruiting Weekly newsletter that we send out by email every Tuesday. Um, that, is mere, that is really geared towards advice and direction and, hey, coach, start doing this. Or here's what the latest research shows. And there's certainly going to be an element of that here. But in my time visiting around college campuses, which really involves well over 100,000 miles a year in the air traveling to different places, I get to meet and talk to some really interesting coaches who are really good at what they do, who are what I would consider thought leaders and there's really not any place for them to come in and talk and give you advice and talk about what they do and why they do it the way they do it. And I want to have that extended conversation through this podcast. So that's one thing I'm really going to be interested in doing. And that starts today with the, the first guest that we'll have on here on this first show. Um, as I mentioned, it's not going to be all about advice and all about training. Uh, we want to bring in outside experts to tell you what's going on around not only college athletics, but also admissions, just the college uh, process itself, um, and, and also authors and marketers and people from outside of sports that can come in and give advice and, and, and kind of stretch, uh, stretch coaches and challenge them in certain areas that they may not have ever considered before in their job as a recruiter. So we want to do that as well. Um, we want to feature smart recruiters and smart coaches and the people who are doing it right, uh, which we will do. And we really, with them, want to go in depth with the topics that are important to you as a coach. And there's going to be times where I'll just have a lot to say and we'll have a day of training. Uh, but then there's going to be other times where I want to lead a conversation, like today's uh, episode where we get a chance just to pick the brain of really smart coaches who have done recruiting well uh, and that, that you may never have the chance to meet or talk to in person, but you're going to be able to through these podcasts. So I hope that you listen every week. I hope that you tell your staff, uh, your fellow coaches within your program, and really spread the word because the bigger community that we have, the more that we're going to be able to, to share ideas with each other and and lean on each other for, uh, for advice and stories on how to do this most important part of your, um, your job. Uh, we also want to answer your questions. That's the other, the, the other thing that I think I enjoy doing most of all is when I'm on a campus or when we have clients and they have a question, we, they have a problem that they're facing, and we're able to answer it and talk to them and solve it. That's something I really want to do through the podcast. Um, and so... If you can, uh, if you have questions, whether that's a one-time question or you have something every week that you want to ask, uh, I would suggest and, and point you to our Twitter account, which is at Dan Tudor, D-A-N-T-U-D-O-R on Twitter. Uh, you can direct message me. You can just in, include me and sort of tag me in that message and ask your question, and we will bring it onto the podcast and, and answer it. And like I said, we're going to try to be doing these once every week, if not a little bit more frequently, uh, when we have guests and people to, uh, to talk to. So we're going to be pretty frequently answering questions. We want them to be the questions that you bring up. So 
as you listen to this, head over to Twitter and ask the questions that come to your mind so that in the next podcast or in future podcasts, we can answer those. Um, Today's topic, appropriate, I think, because this is the first podcast that we're launching. This is episode one. So today is all about being first as a uh, as a coach in recruiting. Um, so along with being the first podcast uh, that we're producing, many of you, uh, it seems like there's there's always that first contact that comes in, uh, whether that's mid-season or when you're first able to talk to a new class, there's that first contact with recruits that is so essentially important to setting up the process the right way. And the guest that we're going to be talking to, I think, is one of the best people that has figured out how to do that. Uh, at least he did when he was a college coach, and I'll explain that transition here in a minute. Um, but since it's the first show, we're talking about being first. Um, we're going to do that with this person who was actually one of our first clients uh, back now, almost probably a decade ago, uh, when we first started that element of our service and work with college athletics and, and programs. And so... Uh, without further ado, let's get to that conversation with our very first guest. So let's get to our first guest, uh, first ever on the podcast. Again, very applicable because we're talking about being first. And our first guest on the podcast is Greg Earhart. Uh, Greg Earhart is a swimming coach who I got to know, gosh, probably a decade ago. First met him when I spoke at the uh, Swim Coaches Convention back in the late 2000s. Um, and at that time, he was the head swimming coach at Carthage College uh, in, um, in Wisconsin. Great place. Fantastic school. He ran a great swim program. He won six conference championships, um, five conference coach of the year awards. Uh, the thing I like about Greg and always have is that he is a smart guy who wants to do a good job at recruiting, who always was looking sort of at the reasons these kids would commit or the way that they communicated. Um, just really always took an intelligent view of recruiting. And he was one of those coaches that, I, mean, I use this to describe coaches a lot, where he just got it. He understood how important recruiting was and how uh, it still does. But, but really back then as he was building the program, really wanted to take an in-depth research-based approach. Um, he uh, has, a, has his master's from University of Minnesota, graduated from Buena Vista University, he was an assistant coach at Indiana, University of Minnesota. Uh, he left Carthage to uh, become a, an associate head coach at Arizona State. And after that, uh, left that program and uh, now is a volunteer assistant at Colorado College, does a lot with USA Swimming. He also runs and has built up in the while he was coaching the website collegeswimming.com, which is kind of the go-to source for news and information, uh, recruiting rankings and information for collegiate swimming. So he's just one of those guys in his sport that has taken over kind of the, you know, he has become the guy to go to in college swimming. 
And, uh, and again, the reason we're talking to him is because he has always done a good job at recruiting. And specifically, I thought that for a Division three coach with limited resources, with uh, you know, a guy who doesn't have a sales background, I always thought he did a fantastic job at the first contact and really developing interest at a school that was kind of pricey, no athletic scholarships, and yet he had team after team that was really good and had guys swimming for him that really were um, you know, could have swam at a higher level, but they chose to swim for Greg. And I think a lot of it had to do with the way that he contacted him or the, those athletes and the way that he communicated. And a lot of that revolved back to the first contact and, and even just earning the right at first to go through and, and talk to these, these kids. So we wanted to talk to Greg about the process, about the idea of being first, and get his ideas for you uh, as, as coaches involved in the same game that he is. How do you get these kids to, to contact, uh, to reply and respond and, and begin the process? And so here's how we started the conversation with today's guest, Greg Earhart. So, Greg Earhart, let's start off the conversation with your take on the whole being first idea in recruiting with this question. Why is it such a big deal to be first when we talk about this idea of communicating with a prospect? Um, I think over time I've come to the conclusion that being first, the, the importance of being first has a somewhat inverse relationship to where you're at on the food chain. So the better a program you are, the less of a need there is for it. I, and I can look back on plenty of situations where as a, as a coach, I was recruiting somebody and especially recruiting guys because their development is a little bit slower. Um, they suddenly get fast in the middle of their senior year. And all of a sudden, a team that they haven't heard from suddenly jumps into the conversation. You can have developed a great relationship with uh, with a swimmer or diver or whoever you might be recruiting, but as soon as they pop a fast time or as soon as they do something different, there's always somebody on the food chain that's a little bit higher than you are. And, and when I was at Indiana, it might be Stanford that comes into the game late. When I was at a place like Carthage, it might be a Division One program that comes into the late. might be a program that they've given you know, no love to the recruit whatsoever. So I, I think the kind of the, the lower down the competitive food chain you are, the more value there is, provided you do something that kind of stands out from the crowd. Seeing as, as things are always, uh, I mean, every date is legislated now for coaches to be able to begin contacting. If you're first on July 1st, you might be the first of 20 people on that particular day. Um, the first day you can mail or email somebody, you're you're going to be, you're going to have a tough time being the first out of the gate. Again, the more competitive a kid you're going after. Um, so I, I think the the value of being first has a, a bit of an inverse relationship to where where you stat on the competitive food chain. But I I certainly know when I was at Carthage and I had to work to gain name recognition or exposure. I was pretty aggressive in terms of contacting juniors and I know that that paid off because more often than not I heard from a parent or a kid or a coach, hey, we had never heard of Carthage College until we got 
we got your letter. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, but, but being first can be helpful, but more important than that, and I think you, you know this, it's, it's all about making a connection. What do, you, what do you do to stand out? You gotta kinda jump up and down to get their attention, but, but kids can separate BS from uh, genuine interest, I think, fairly, fairly quickly. They're, they're bombarded with thousands of messages every day. So I think the value of being first is, is diminished a little bit over time, but it depends on the situation. Do you think that there's ever a burden if you're talking to a recruit first or even just early on in the recruiting process uh, and in their high school career as you know, a lot of Division One coaches are talking to kids now that are freshmen, sophomores along the way that, that will contact the coach. Um, and even though there's limits in place, kids will find their way to talk to a coach. I'm just wondering from your experience or from your feeling, do you feel like it ever is a burden to be first? I think in a, in a lot of cases it is, especially if the parents or the student initiate contact first, because what it can do is it can set up unrealistic expectations. Um, you know, if you take the time to sit down and, and talk with a family while they're on campus or visiting or they shoot you an email, you know, you never want to say no, especially if you are in a Division three environment where a lot of your, your recruiting is driven by tuition and, and enrollment. Um, but you never want to overplay your hand or overcommit about how interested you are uh, because I think that can sometimes send the wrong wrong signal to the parents. Oh, this this means that that this school is really interested in me, and and they may not they you may be really interested in them, but I think in a, in a case like swimming or a lot of o Olympic sports, we are under resourced in so many ways. So the unrealistic expectation that comes along with it is the notion of of regular communication. You know, it's it most coaches start off with a list of a couple hundred if if not several hundred of kids that they want to follow and as recruiting and swimming has gone earlier and earlier we have more more commits in our junior year than we we've ever had in our sport um, it makes it tough on a coach to kind of keep up especially if you only have one assistant um, to recruit your current class to communicate to the next class and and oh by the way you don't want to feel that younger kid left out so I think that's one of the things that I always worry about is is the uh, we're, we're very good at selling our sport we're very good at, at presenting a great image when somebody sets foot on campus but but to maintain that level of communication especially in an era of constant communication sets some pretty pretty unrealistic expectations on on the part of the coaches I think I had asked the question about, you know, is there a burden to being first? And you actually, in your answer, brought up an aspect of that that I hadn't considered, and that is when you are first, or you just happen to be first, or one of the earliest, and that prospect or their family, uh, i.e. their parents, might assume that, well, they contacted us early, or they were one of the first, they must be interested in us. And that may not necessarily be the case, how often do you think that that happens in the recruiting process in a particular class where, you know, you might be communicating with a recruit and they're reading it incorrectly that, uh, that because you were one of the first coaches that contacted them, that you must be really interested in them? 
Well, I, I think this is, is, this can expose some of the, the underside of, of recruiting in some ways in that, you know, if, if I'm communicating to a high school junior, especially a boy, especially a sport like swimming, they are not going to be the same swimmer that shows up as a freshman in college two years later. The developmental aspect is, is huge. And so you never want to, uh, how would I say, you, you never want to um, leave a stone unturned. And there's always room for growth. And I think every program, to some extent, over-recruits. You, you have to over-recruit. In, in swimming, the 54% of, of kids swim all four years. In Division three level, it drops down to about 46%. So you're always over-recruiting to some extent. And at the same time, I think it, it is important for the coach, and I think it's valuable for the, the parents and, and kids to communicate what, what your expectations are. Um, the, the more you do that, the more of a resource you become to them. And, and really, I think the more trust that you, you develop with those parents and those kids. And you mm -hmm. can say, you know what, it's really early still. I mean, if, if somebody stands out, you, everybody knows they're good. And you're, you're going to want to put your best offer on the line right up front. But that's a, such a small percentage of kids that are out there that, that are going to get an offer, um, especially as a, a junior, even earlier than that, certainly in our sport. Um, but I think if you outline saying, hey, this is what we're looking for, time's coming in, you are on our list, but you're also one of many people on our list, then I think what happens is you, you don't, nobody, nobody wants to be told they can't, they're not good enough to make a team. But I think everybody values understanding where they sit in that process. And along the way, you're going to, as a coach, the more you communicate, identify whether or not this person is somebody that you want on your program or somebody that you don't want on your program. I think there's very few coaches that have ever regretted stopping recruiting a kid. But I know lots of coaches that have regretted recruiting a kid and having them come on campus. So I think some of that comes down to the communication process what are you communicating and and how are you, you doing that and i think the most we're, we're always we're always in a sales mode but we don't have to be i mean selling for coach selling for coaches with dan right. dan tudor product but at the same time there's so much advertising there's so much messaging the more value you can add to the recruiting process is something that will come back and support your efforts in the recruiting process Kids and parents aren't aren't afraid of of tough questions. That's that's one thing we've learned in our research. So I, I'm I'm listening to you and reading between the lines, and it does sound like just based on your experience and kind of what what your thought process is, is that you can be too early in the process. You can be too early with a prospect uh, at you know in certain cases. Is that am I hearing that correctly? I, I think so. I think in terms of the the offer, I don't think you can ever be too early in terms of building your brand. I think that's something that, that is valuable, and that's something that we, we should all be doing to promote our sport, to promote our teams. Um, we can always be early in terms of communicating to kids and parents the, the eligibility expectations. 
because especially with the changes that have, have gone through in the past year at the NCAA, there are so many changes that are going to so affect so many sports that, that kids aren't going to have second chances to become eligible. So I think it's, and, and where are they going to find this information? From an over-resourced or under-resourced counselor at their high school? I mean, that's, this is something we should be doing to, to help our sports, to make our jobs easier down the road. When I was at Carthage College, I always took the approach because I, I, I knew that I had to overcome name recognition early issues early. Um, I took the approach that during my junior year, or during a kid's junior year, I wanted them to know everything there was to possibly know about Carthage College and about our swimming program. I didn't want to have to ask, you know, I didn't want them to have to ask questions by the time I made that first phone call about, well, how strong is your business department? Or, you know, what's the cost? Or things along those lines. So I, th I think that's what I used as a junior year to kind of put all those things into place so that senior year, when I could pick up the phone and talk to them, we could develop a relationship and we could decide whether or not the fit worked. To try to sell somebody on a, uh, you know, their, their sophomore or junior year, what, do, what are you selling them on? I mean, what? <laughs> What, what are you thinking about as a 16-year-old versus what you know when you look, look back? So I, I think you, you can be early in terms of, you can be too early if you try to over, oversell it, but, but there are certain things that I think you, you need to do. And, and we as, as a sport, we certainly want coaches to do because it's, it's ultimately what keeps, keeps people going. There's a, lot of ki there's a lot of parents that keep kids in swimming because of the hope that it's gonna open up doors for them in college, whether it's a scholarship or getting into a college. And that's something that we all, all have an investment in. You started to touch on some philosophical points, the way that you would approach recruiting. And again, you've been at the division one level, D3. Kind of maybe finish out that philosophy when it came to being first, what were you trying to do in that first contact? What were your goals as a recruiter? I think first and foremost to catch their attention. Uh, when the places that I've been, that I've I've done some recruiting, you know, when I started at Indiana University, we were eighth in the Big Ten. We had to jump up and down to catch people's attention, and and we weren't necessarily going to get the highest caliber kid looking at us right away. We had to find people that were going to buy into our system and get better, and improve. And if they'd improve, then that would allow us to appeal to a higher caliber of, of recruit. So we had to do a lot of kind of just jumping up and down and catching people's attention while we were there. When I moved on to Carthage College, I had less of an advantage than at Indiana, at least at a place like Indiana, you've got a Big Ten name and a Big Ten reputation. And so when I went to a place like Carthage, again, it was just jumping up and down and I tried to distinguish myself from every other competitor that's out there. We were able to tout how men's swimming was growing on our campus. Um, we weren't getting cut and we were able to cite examples. Um, a lot of it was, was bombarding them. You know, just kinda, I, I almost a, equate our initial mail and, and I do think that, that postage, you know, old fashioned mail does pay off. I almost looked at that as, as artillery. That's the way you soften up your target before you, you start to go in. And, you know, after a kid's got four letters sitting on the kitchen table, all from Carthage College that have arrived within two weeks, 
mom and dad are going to say, you know what, this coach looks like he's pretty interested in you. Maybe take a, take a look. So, and, and I think when I went to Arizona State, it was the same thing. Arizona State was coming off a, a situation where they had nearly cut the men's t- program. That's a lot of baggage to overcome. So we, we had to say, hey, things are good, and here's, here's why. In fact, they're better than good. So it's, it's kind of grabbing their attention just to be able to separate yourself from the, the rest of the crowd because you're going, these kids, again, are getting bombarded with fleeting messages. If it's Snapchat, it's designed to be fleeting. Um, what do you do to, to stand out from the crowd? And the lower down the food chain you are, the more value being first has. Um, but it's not just being first. Sometimes it's being big. Sometimes it's being different. I always took pride in, in the fact every time I'd talk to recruit or parent, they'd just say, you know what? Your letters aren't like any of the other coaches. Or you're, you're different. You know? And I'd say, yeah, I, w- I want to be different. I don't want to do things just the same way because I think, I don't think that's necessarily right for our program, and it's not right for, for you in finding a school. So that was kind of always my, my philosophy, jumping up and down. I think you know, jumping up and down to grab attention. Um, when it comes up to the higher-level recruit, I think the value of being, being first comes in, in other ways. In our, in our sport, you know, those, those relationships are, are built early on through, through coaches, and I think that that's something that that our coaches don't generally do a great job of is communicating with high school and club coaches. But at the highest levels, you see that it happens. You see kids that are on, you know, right now the the best uh, high school swimmers in the country in America are in Hawaii for the Junior Pan Pacific Championships. And there'll be a couple college coaches that are serve on that staff. And they're not recruiting actively, but they they get to know the kids. They get to know the kids as coaches. They get to know each other's friends. I mean, that's that's kind of the new first is is who do you know on a team, and and working with them. Um, and and again, then it comes down to you have to build the relationship. You have to figure out is this person fit for for your team. And likewise, you need to kind of shift away from the the selling somebody on your team to showing them the benefits showing them why it's the best team for them a minute ago you mentioned mail and that you would try to kind of you described it as softening up your uh, your target before you go in and i hear from a lot of coaches talk to a lot of coaches that have kind of given up on old-fashioned letter through through the postal system mail as a method not only for first contact but for contact period I, I'm in your camp. I think that it holds tremendous value. Why? Why do you think so many coaches have given up on mail? <laughs> um, I would say that the easy answer there is laziness. It takes work to put together mailings. Um, it takes work to to handwrite different letters. Um, I think that's why it's so effective, though, because kids understand that. that. They're smart. They know that it takes longer. They know that it's exactly. that it's, le- it's more uh, or it's rather less convenient than an email or Snapchat or a text message. Here, here's, here's the thing that, that I think of. Every time I've approached recruiting, I've, I've thought with today's kid, you have to do something different to stand out. And honestly... 
what's more different now than actually sending a mail or a piece of mail in the or a piece a letter I can't even right. say it right now I'm so old to send a letter through the mail um, that's different because every other coach is going to try to just shoot you an email I have a, 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 a company that I, that I hire called SaneBox that goes through the email just because the quantity that I get every day a couple hundred messages a day how do you possibly stand out among 50 or 100 other programs out there. You, you got to do something something different. So we, you know, I, I took the approach. And, and I think in that regard, you have to be different in terms of your communications. It's uh, not necessarily um, the best letter that gets read. It's the letter that gets read that's the best. And mm. if a kid opens up a letter and, and it's got a lot of words and they all sound like the every other letter saying you've distinguished yourself from a pack of other swimmers and this, that, and the other thing, and it just starts to sound like the adults in a Peanuts cartoon. But if you send them a punchy letter that maybe only has four sentences in it at best, you know, y- if you think of it as a, as a bigger, bigger than a tweet, um, and then you hit them again a couple of days later, now you've got their attention. Uh, you know, just thinking about email, how, how worthless it is in some, in some regards. I think back to an email that I sent out to juniors on the first day we could start recruiting them when, when I was at Arizona State. And what do you put in the subject line of an email? And so in my email, I put free Chipotle for swim team members <laughs> and actually <laughs> I did I did this for about 60% of the kids we kind of did an AB test with it and the open rate on those emails was on the order of 88% the response rate was something on the order an initial response within 48 hours was about 30% and within a week was was close to 60%. You know, if I can get an open rate, a response rate of 60% on anything, I'll, I'll take that. And, that. and especially, we're going after high-level kids. Um, and it was funny because I got a response back from a, there was a recruit whose father is a pretty prominent sports writer. Um, and, and understanding that a lot of these emails are going to parents first. And he just commented, he goes, this is great, this is, this is the f- only email that, that he read so far, and it was because you got his attention. And, <laughs> and you know what? We hadn't really thought about Arizona State, but it just sounds pretty cool. Tell us more. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and it, it got around. I, I suddenly kind of had some other coaches that I'd see at Fools going, so you guys are giving free Chipotle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody listening to this podcast wondering why we're interviewing Greg Earhart, it's because he does A B testing on email subject lines. So in in relation, the the other group got about I'd I'd have to go back and look it up. Let, certainly about a third of the emails got opened. Um, and but the and far, far fewer got were were responded to. Well, and, and you pointed out in, in our talk that you can't always be first uh, when you're talking to an athlete, uh, a new recruit, and which kind of brings me back to 
uh, the latter half of Talladega Nights and uh, Ricky Bobby's dad, Reese Bobby, you know, saying, you know, if you ain't first, you're last. Well, of course, you can you can be second, third. Heck, you could even be fourth. And I guess if you end up being third, fourth, or the eighth coach to make contact with a prospect, what was your strategy? Did you feel like not being first put you at a disadvantage? Or what, what were the things that you did to try to make up ground? Because I think a lot of coaches listening to this run into the you know, the uh, idea that uh, and the reality that I'm not first to contact this prospect, and now am I behind, or should I even bother to recruit him or her? I, I think you need to you need to hustle when when you're not in it early on, and I think the the place where if you're not first, and and I let's use first as a relative term because it's you have to be one of the first. Right. The 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 place where it's vital is getting a kid on campus. Um, part of it is is just tactical. You. A kid only has five official visits, and and in swimming, especially, say girls' high school swimming, most of those kids are swimming in the fall. That's their high school season, and a coach doesn't want to let them go for five weekends. That that can destroy a high school season, Um, and it also it's also kind of from a strategic reason because there's a lot of coaches out there. You know, you can say I want to be the last visit i want to be the last impression that they get before they make their decision but guess what if you are the last scheduled visit they may not visit you because they might like spot number one or two or three or they might have a coach that's saying this offer is good until next thursday knowing that on thursday they're scheduled to go to their rival school um so i think you absolutely want to be one of the first in in line when it comes to getting kids on campus and and a great way to do that is is you know juniors you know have a junior day it's it's i'll be honest they're a pain in the butt to do but they're kind of easy in some ways because you can dog and pony show i mean you show you give people a quick look at what your campus is like you get to put the best sales tool that you have on your team in front of these prospective student athletes and the best asset you've got are the people on your team, you know, telling them, these kids, the stories. And, and I'm sure you'll do numerous podcasts about the, the visit process, but, but what, are, what an efficient way to get a ton of people on your, your campus for the first time. And now you've, you've started the relationship building process. So I, I think if you're not the first, you, I look at it the other way. If you're not the first, you're already playing catch up and you, you better work doubly, doubly hard. And if you're working doubly hard, that's awfully tough to do because as coaches, we're always working hard. How can you, how can you work twice as hard as you were before if you're already you know, given 110%? Can't be done. So if you start to look at it from a quality of life issue as a coach, you can see how it benefits you, but you can also see how it benefits your, your recruiting. And it's going to be the recruiting that leads you there first. It's going to be the quality of life that, that is secondary. So the idea of being first as it relates to the campus visit, let me ask you the question that I get asked all the time. And if, from a coach, they would say, should I be the first visit or should I be the last visit? What was your philosophy? What did you find to be most effective? Uh, and maybe, I don't know if that varied by division level. I think you should be the best visit. And if it's the first one they take, if it's the last one they take, it doesn't matter. You want to be the best visit. 
and you know, I, I always felt like the, you know, I think every every kid is different. I mean, it comes down to you doing some some research. I I when I was at Carthage, I loved being the first visit because a lot of times we brought in kids that didn't necessarily have high expectations, and we were always able to exceed them. And then I could say, you know what? I want you to go visit a Division One school. I want you to to visit these other places because guess what? You're you're going to see that our commitment to swimming here is far stronger. You're going to find that our academics are far stronger than what you're going to find at the, these other places. Um, when I was at a place like Indiana, we also kind of stressed that we want to be the first visit because especially when we started out, um, we were not the, the number one choice of a lot of people's lists and we did not want to get shut out of the recruiting process at the end. We didn't want to have another another team come in and say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, you don't want to visit Indiana because this, you know, they were eighth in the Big Ten last year." Um, the flip side is is if you're the last visit, a lot of times if there's some fatigue factor that gets in there, they've been, you know, nothing's new, nothing's shiny. It's it's kind of the right. same same process, but they know the right things to ask. They know the right things to look for. Um, you don't have to buy into the dog and pony show necessarily. Um, you can you can make it very personal. I think some of it also relates to just the number of kids you bring in. If you have a, a great junior day and you can bring in, you know, depending on what your recruiting target is, 15 to 50 kids, that takes away a lot of the work for you. So that when they when you do invite kids back in the fall. You might only have two people on campus over the course of the weekend, or you might have six, depending on what your capacity to take those recruits in. I think that allows you to do a much more effective job in your visit than whether or not you're first, second, or third, or fourth, or fifth. Um, I think, I think uh, you know, and, and I'm sure you get a lot of feedback about the advantages. I mean, every coach has their belief about which is best. Right. Some, some love to be able to close a deal on the last visit, and if that's the case, that's probably the best visit for them. Um, some cases, you might not even get that kid on your campus because they've been told they need to, to commit by this date. So I think it's it's uh, um, kind of comes down to, to what your philosophy is and, and whatever it is, make it work for you. So much of this conversation related to being first kind of is driven by the dates that the NCAA allows coaches to begin making contact or uh, begin to uh, allow official visits. And so, so much of it is date-driven when it comes to being first, and being first gets a lot of positive buzz or attention in recruiting, but I'm wondering, are there times when it is actually advantageous to be last, just from, from your experience? Um. Well, I don't think there's advantages to being last necessarily because I think, I mean, if, if there's an advantage, it's, it's... Or maybe late in the process. I think, I think, no, I, I, I don't think there, there's any value in being, in being late to the process um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think that the kids are necessarily, I mean, the kids may be a little bit more prepared to know what they're getting into or what they're looking for. But I also think you have less of an opportunity to kind of weed through the process yourself. You don't have as many options. Just as a kid, 
who waits and waits and waits on their college search process has far fewer options available to them. I think somebody may not be ready to, to make a decision. Somebody may not be ready for the recruiting process. But if you've, t if you've done your due diligence and, and you've made an effort early on in the process, then at least you've got some, some credibility built up in the tank. There's, like I said, there's always going to be somebody up the food chain that can swoop in late and pick off kids that suddenly make improvements or, or weren't on their radar before. Um, but I, d I don't think you want to count on that. You, you don't want to count on being the team that can, can do that because it's a competitive business and somebody's going to be out there trying to, to do something a little sooner. And especially if Division One, if you're looking to sign somebody, you take a look at sports like lacrosse and volleyball, you have kids that are committing as, as sophomores and juniors. Um, you know, and they're taking their visit to just, you know, they might take one recruiting visit. I think uh, if, you're, if you're waiting, then, then you're, you're losing opportunities. Uh, the kids might not be ready for it, but, but you don't want to just count on luck. You don't want to count on a kid falling into your lap. So bottom line, when it comes to being first, the recruiting advice you would give to a coach would be what? I think that the, when it comes to being, I think you want to make sure that you're in the game and aware early on in the process. And that's going to vary based on, on your locale. Maybe it means that you, there's a sophomore that you know has been good and you've served on a national team with them and you've built up a relationship. Maybe it's at the other end of the spectrum, just sending out a bunch of flyers and saying, these are our visit days this, this fall for, for seniors and making sure that you know their names and their hometowns when they, when they walk on, on the campus. You know, everybody has different expectations, but, but recruiting is an active process and you need to be engaged in the process and the earlier you do it, the more opportunities you have for contacts, the more opportunities you have to kind of narrow your funnel based on the, the kids that you want to look at. You can always throw more kids in that funnel as the, the season goes along, but you want to have options available to you. And that's the same advice that I, I give to kids and parents when I talk to them. Start the process early. You, you can control the, the pace of the process, but you'll never have more time. You know, that time just slips away. And so get an early start on it and then set the pace from there. And that is going to wrap it up, Coach. Show number one, it is in the books. I want to thank our guest, Greg Earhart, for being here to talk about being first in recruiting. That was fantastic. Remember, you can ask questions on Twitter for the next show at Dan Tudor and subscribe to the podcast as well. And when you get the chance, head on over to our website, dantutor.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Podcast.